thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. How awesome is that video? That's so awesome. I told Tyler and our creative team, how do I begin my message after something so epic like that? Isn't that an amazing um, depiction of this, this last century of what, how, history, how history was made through, the, through common people, through people like you and me, history was made. It's amazing. Um, I love this quote. It says, there's an old saying about those who forget history. I don't remember it. But it's good. That's Stephen Colbert from the Colbert Report. I love that. You know, there's, there is a saying that history, if it's not learned, if it's not studied, will repeat itself. And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean for you and me to make history personally in our personal lives, in our families, in our children, in the environment around us. I want to let you know that by the end of six weeks, I hope that you leave with a confidence that you can and you will make history around you. If, if we could leave with anything after this series, if we could leave with that. Now there's two types of people in here. There's the people who, who come from an amazing family tree. They inherited an amazing, amazing thing. They have, they, their family behind them already created amazing history, and they're just living that on out. It's not very hard for them, but for most of us, for most of us, we may have families who have different things that have happened, different trajectories, different, different circumstances, and for us, it's a lot more difficult to change history. For us, we realize, man, maybe, maybe we need to change some history about our lives, our personal lives. And so we're going to use Judges chapter 6 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 6. Also, if you would like to look at our notes, you can go to Uversion, the Bible, look for live event, and you can find our notes through Uversion, or you can download the Luminous Church app. And go to your notes section where we'll have notes for you this morning. This is hopefully to engage you a little bit better. That's been our hope through this app and through technology is not to impress you or wow you because we're a church plant. We're not going to do that too well. But our hope is that any technology that we use, anything that we have, that it would engage you to grow deeper in your love for Jesus. And if you leave today, would you grow deeper in your love for Jesus. In Judges chapter 6, I love the book of Judges. God is using Judges to end up freeing his people, to bring justice to the earth. He uses 13 Judges in the book of Judges. And we're going to find, this is one of my favorite Bible stories. You've probably heard this over and over again growing up in church. But I love this Bible story. In Judges chapter 6 verse 1. We'll be reading a lot, but breaking it up for you this morning. Hopefully we can digest it together. It says this, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Everybody say that's bad. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites 
planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey for they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come up like locusts in numbers. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. God has called all of us to something. On your notes section, there's a question. What is it that you fear? I love this interaction. What is it that you most fear that's keeping you from stepping out into what God has called you to step out in? What is it that you fear most? Go ahead and answer that. We will reveal those results next week. Last week, we had this during our risk, our vision Sunday. We asked, what is your risk aversion? Is it low? Is it moderate? Or is it high? Do you love to take risk or do you not like to take risk at all? And 80% of our church fell into the moderate. You know, right? Of course, because this is the generation of indifference. So why not put the middle? So I asked a question where it wasn't multiple choice. So you actually have to answer. So we'd love your answers on that. Here we have, here we have the Israelites. And, and as you read, and this story pretty much tells itself. It could preach itself over and over again. You could read this in your quiet time this week and get something new out of it. It's amazing. But here what we have is, man, we have the Israelites. They're hiding. They're hiding. They're so scared that they make for themselves caves and dens and strongholds. They're so scared that they actually carve out places for them to hide. Any of you love hide and go seek? Right? What was your favorite place to hide? Tell your neighbor, what was your favorite place to hide right now? What was your favorite place to hide? Under the stairs. I love that. I love that. Man, I mean, my friends and I, man, we would be so creative in hide and go seek. You know, it's like you actually cut out pieces of the wall. You know, you, you, you break pieces of fence and you go through it. You know, it was whatever you could do to hide. And that's what the Israelites were doing as they were being bullied and harassed and disobeying God. They came up and they started hiding in caves, dens, and strongholds. On a more serious note, as I, I really think that as a church in an audience like this, that there are caves, dens, and strongholds that we have made to hide from things that are coming against us. For some of you, it is your bills. I don't know if you've been like me in the past, but you get a big bill, and so you just put it at the bottom of the pile, and you just hope it goes away. For some of you, it is, it's different kinds of things. Maybe it's how you discipline your children. Maybe it's hiding from the boss, that boss who is out to get you every day. And so maybe I could just hide from him or her. There are many strongholds in our life, many things that we've put up and we've, we've shrunk back to a place of hiding because of this fear of of that person, of that thing. And the thing about uh, Judges 6.6, 6, it says this. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Everybody say, it hurts. It hurts. There are things in your life that are coming against you, that are coming at you. And we know this. 
whether it's bills, whether it's friends, whether it's substance abuse, maybe it's some kind of addiction like pornography, or maybe it's something um, different than that. But there are things that are coming against you, and it's easy for us to hide. But how many know after hiding long enough, you just get low and depressed? You get low and depressed. It says this, if we are going to change anything, there are three ways that people change. They hurt enough that they want to. Or they hurt enough that they have to. They know enough that they want to. Or they have enough that they're able to. It's three reasons that people change typically in life. These three things. My wife and I, we loved Biggest Loser. Anybody watch Biggest Loser? It was like, it's like the 15th season. It's crazy. We love that. Because it, it comes to a place where these people are tired of being the way that they are. And they hurt, and so they have to. And so they sign up for this show, and as they get on this show, they start getting educated about nutrition and all these things, and then they know a lot. And so then, so they hurt, and so they have to be there. They don't want to be there on the beginning of the show, but they're like, man, I, I can't be the same way that I've always been. But then they start learning and grabbing new things and new ideas, and they're like, man, I actually know a lot now. Now I want to. And then they're resourced with, with all these personal trainers and, and different things like that. And then they have enough that they're able to. Now, we know when we look at life circumstance, then sometimes, sometimes we don't hurt that bad. Anytime I meet with a, a person who's in some kind of addiction and, and they come back to me week after week and they're like, man, I keep doing this. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> and they're like, I, yeah, man, I know. I just need to, I just need to stop it. And then next week they come. I just go, man, you don't hurt enough. You are not low enough where you're truly repentive to change. So then I try to educate them. Well, well you know, this is going to damage this. And if you keep doing this, this in the future will be damaged and destroyed. If you keep doing this, your family tree will forever be changed. You keep doing this, this is what's going to happen to you. And sometimes they're like, man, now I know. And other times, like, man, I can't even see that far, Ben. I can only see it till tomorrow. And then we try to resource them. Every, every guy I meet with, I get them on X3 Watch. I get them on different things like this. Can we resource you enough so that you're able to? Thing is, is God tells us how we got where we are. I love that. If you tell another person that, hey, this is how you got to where you are, they're like, don't tell me that. But God does it. God tells us how we got where we are. 7 through 10, it says this. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. You say, man, this is how you got here. I'm going to lay it out. Here's the timeline. And if I were to ask you, and maybe there's this moment in your life. Maybe life's great. You're, it's awesome. Great marriage. 
great school, great friends. But there's that one thing like, man, it just stinks. Just want to get out of it. I guarantee you, you could probably identify how it got there. You ask, how did this get here? I bet you God would show up and he would answer. But what I love about God is God not only tells you how you got there, but he also tells you who you are. It's good to know who you are from God's perspective. In verse 12, it says this, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. I was reading this week in Acts 3, and, and something that I just overlook over and over again in verse 15, it says that you killed Jesus, who is the author of life. The author of life. He wrote everything about you. He wrote your DNA code. He wrote your emotions. He wrote your personality. He wrote your spirit. He authored it. How much does he value it? No one writes anything that they don't like and keep it. But he wrote it and he, kept you and he keeps you. The author of life knows your wiring. Knows your wiring. Knows what you're capable of. I, I love, I love some, some people, they don't understand the power of certain technology, right? So I know I have friends who get a MacBook Pro to send emails. I mean, are you kidding me, man? I mean, I can get you $100 tablets to check your emails. But they're getting this MacBook $1,500 machine to check emails. I'm like, do you even know what that thing can do? Bro, you can do anything. You can make a video like Tyler. It's awesome. But I think it's us, you and me. Some of us live life just sending emails. We don't really know what God has put inside of us. We don't really know the power that he put inside of us. And Gideon, this judge, before he was a judge, was a man. And God wanted to tell him, you're a mighty man of valor. And I think it's just true for every man in here. You are a mighty man of valor. And you need to know that today. Questions for God. <laughs> we all ask God questions. Have you ever asked God a question, right? We all ask questions. In verse 12 through 16, it says this, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? The why question. Can't wait till Benson's this age. Why, Dad? Why, Dad? Why, Dad? You may have experienced that age. And where are, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the might of yours and save Israel from the land of the Midian. Do, I, do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. 
I love this because he asked, God just told him, here's how you got to where you are. And he goes, but why? But he just told him because you're disobedience. If you're in a circumstance that you don't like, I'm guarantee you it's because of disobedience. At some point, now did Gideon, is he the one who took all of his people back to that land under captivity? No. He was just in the midst of the circumstance, but because of disobedience, he was there. And so God doesn't answer all of his questions. And I love that God just doesn't debate with us. I love that God is not necessarily an apologetic. He doesn't have to be. He just shows up and he's the apologetic. But what I love about God is he doesn't, he doesn't answer the question. He gives them a mission. He says, I'm not going to answer your question. I already told you. Boy, here's the mission. The mission is I'm going to send you out to free your people. The mission is you're great and mighty. The mission is, is I'm sending you to something. And I think it's no different for us. You may be asking God questions. Why am I in debt? Why am I addicted to this? Why did this happen? And you can sit there bitter in your cave and grow more bitter, just like Gideon is about to do in his wine press, right? He can sit there and just grow bitter. And I can't believe my father's brought me to this place. I can't believe they did that. You can do that or you can start getting busy on mission of what God has called you to do. And I think if we're going to make history, we got to be on mission. We got to be on mission. More questions right here. Judges 6, 19 through 22. A lot of reading this morning. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes. And he made all this for the Lord. And he put it up there and he gave it to the Lord and he put it on the altar. And boom, God, God eats it up with fire. I love how he does that. God eats awesome. He does that and he goes, oh, you are the Lord. So Gideon asked this question. Okay, okay, why am I here? And then Gideon asked this question, are you really Lord? And God answers, yes, I am. Judges 6, 23 through 27 says, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Oh, man. If we can only have that affirmation. You won't die. You won't die. Dude, I'll, I'll do anything if I'm not going to die. I'll jump off the building downtown. But I'm not going to die, God. Why am I dead? Okay. says, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. When God calls you on mission, he's going to make peace follow that mission. It's going to be godly peace for godly missions. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezerites. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of his town to do it by day, he did it. 
by night. God is calling us to tear down false security. It's false securities in us. As we're hiding in our dens, that bill that you've been hiding, you have security in the wrong place. Because you, because you think a couple hundred dollars more will fix all your problems. But really, God is the answer to that. God's going to be the one who answers your problems. He's going to be the one solving it. Timid steps are still steps, though. I want to let you know this. Timid steps are still steps. And as we study Gideon, he does this at night because he's scared. But it doesn't matter when he did it, right? Because that wasn't obedience. It didn't matter necessarily how he did it, if he followed God's direction. But he did it at night. And I think for some of us, it's just, it's just one step in front of the other. Just, man, I'm going to make a subtle change. You may be doing it at night. You may be doing it with telling no one else, but you're making steps to obedience. I love people who, who start reading their Bible. Well, this happens all the time with spouses. I love when they come to Jesus, and, and at first when they start reading their Bible, they're doing it, you know, in the work truck before they go inside. You know, the, the, the wife is like checking, you know, her Bible in the restroom. Because it's timid steps. What are they going to think about me? What is my husband going to think about me if I start opening the Bible? What is my wife going to think about me if I start praying at night? And to be truly transparent with you, I've been this way as well. Wanting to pray over my son and speak destiny over him and life into him. And so excited for him and loving him and just wanting to pray over him. But when my wife's in the room, it's like, God, thank you for Benson. Amen. Why? The other day we were fasting and praying as a church and I was sitting there and I was in the rocker. And man, I was just, I was interceding. I was going to town. I was praying. I was praying hardcore. And then my wife comes in and I go, <laughs> But timid steps are steps. Just start. Just start. 38 through 35, it says this. When the men of town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar bell was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asher beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jerzel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abiezerites were called out of the, to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. 
and they went up to meet him. And Gideon was moving towards steps. He was taking these steps. I remember being in sixth grade, in sixth grade, talking about changing a family tree. In sixth grade, man, I was scared to death of school. I don't know why, you know, sixth grader, maybe I was going through puberty or something like that. But, man, I was scared to death of school. And my mom would tell me every day before she dropped me off at Days of All Elementary, she would say, Proverbs 28.1, Ben, I want you to say it back to me. The wicked flee, though no one pursues but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So she's like, say it back to me. I'm like, the righteous are as bold as a lion. I remember stepping out of that car, man, timid. Timidity set in. I was still scared. I was still scared. Just because you're making steps towards God, just because you're starting to live out his mission, just because you're starting to share your faith in the workplace, just because you're starting to share faith at H-E-B or wherever it is, just because you're starting to love your neighbors and pray for your neighbors, just because you're doing that doesn't mean you aren't scared. And if you're waiting for confidence, you'll never move. Confidence will not precede a step. Confidence comes after the step is taken. And you got to know that. And so I'm sitting there scared to death, but I'm Proverbs 28.1. Man, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I loved lions, so that just made it cooler. Man, the righteous are as bold as a lion, as bold as a lion, as bold as a lion. And even today, when I'm about to step into a situation that I'm so afraid of, I know that the wicked flee, though no one pursues them, but the wicked flee. They shrink back. They're timid. They hide in their caves and their dens. They do all this stuff. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. And so I get up and I say, man, I know I'm scared to death. I know I'm nervous for that test. I know I'm nervous to share my faith. I know I'm nervous to love this person. I know I'm nervous to do this. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. And Gideon, over and over again, was taking steps and God was meeting him. And yet he still needed affirmation. How many of you in your journey of history, the last 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 80 years, how many of you in your history have realized, man, I've overcome so much, and yet I still need affirmation? We all do. And so Judges 6, 36 through 40, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it's dry on the ground all around, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Everybody say, that's a lot of dew. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And all the ground let it be due. And God did so that night and was dry on the fleece only. And all the ground was due. Affirmation after affirmation. Man, I'll tell you, man, if I take a step towards Jesus, and I'm bold as a lion, and I'm courageous, there's going to be a new obstacle, a new challenge. And I need to be affirmed by my Father once again. The only one who can affirm you like you should be affirmed is God the Father. If you're looking at affirmation from your friends, man, I, I do that a lot, right? Does the shirt look good? Huh? Right? We do it all the time. We do it in our husband and our wife. We do it with our mom and our dad. 
We just play that game the best that we can. We sweat as much as we can. And we go up to our dad and say, oh, how did I play? And if you have a great dad, he'll say, awesome. And if you have a sorry dad, he'll say, oh, you could do better. You could have worked on this. But there is a greater dad than my earthly dad. And there is a father who will affirm you over and over and over again. And this was affirmation. You lay out a fleece on your back porch. I don't know. You can try it later. I don't know. But what I do know is God is going to affirm you every time. That's what we got to know. We got to know is this prescriptive or descriptive. I believe that this account is descriptive for us. It's describing an event. An event. But the principle is this, affirmation. So, Ben, you told me a lot of Gideon. It's pretty awesome. So how do I make history? How do I fight these battles? How do I win? How do I win with these secret sins? How do I win with this debt piling up? How do I win when school is bad? How do I do this? First, I would say tear down your idols. Tear them down. Man, I, I, there's some cheesy Christian movies out there, really cheesy. Fireproof is one of those. And uh, no offense, Kirk Cameron. But there's this moment in this movie that's just amazing. He's sick of pornography. He's sick of destroying his marriage. He grabs a computer and just throws it and just breaks that computer. And that's a real-life example of tearing down an idol. Sometimes you got to break stuff in your life. Sometimes you got to break stuff in your life. Sometimes that TV that you've been idolizing, sometimes you just got to break it or sell it to pay off that $200 bill. Sometimes you have to do that. It's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. I'm not going to prescribe that to all of you. Please don't come home and break all your TVs and bring me the parts next Sunday. But if you do, if you do come up here and bring some glass from a broken computer, man, I'm going to pray for you right then. Because sometimes we got to literally tear down the idols. We got to obey God. Just obey him. It's... it's Really what we're created to do is to obey God. And anytime we disobey him, we put ourselves in an area and a realm of disfellowship from him. Which has to be reconciled and brought back into relationship, which he'll do in a moment, in a millisecond. But we have to obey God. And then we have to trust that he'll see us through. You got to trust him. You got to trust him. This was all about getting Gideon to a place of trust. Okay, man, you're obeying me. Now do you trust me? Now do you trust me? Now do you trust me? And we see it. We see it surface in kids. Why? 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 Okay. Okay. I'll do. Yes. Here we go. I know you. I hear your voice. You're awesome. Thank you. No more whys. 
And that's what God wants for your spiritual life. That you'd quit asking why in the good and the bad and the high and the low. And you say, God, thank you. I trust you. Now you came here and you feel exhausted. Feel exhausted. Oh, man, I got to do all this stuff. I got to tear down my idols and I got to do all this. Yes. It's tiring. This is tiring. Judges 8, 4. Gideon's pursuing the Midianites. He's chasing every single one of them. You're not coming back. You're not going to drive me in the den again. You're not going to drive me in the cave again. And he says he was exhausted, yet pursuing. I think we get exhausted, but we got to keep going towards the mission. Tyler, will you come help me close this out? Please. Philippians 4, we find Paul. Paul killed hundreds, if not thousands, witnessed it of Christians, gets saved, and then he starts saving hundreds and thousands. It's incredible. Turn around. And Paul, Paul begins to write in Philippians 4. He says, I'm going to tell you the secrets of pursuing. I'm going to tell you the secret to pursuit. I'm going to tell you the secret of how you can make it to the end. I'm going to tell you the secret of how when you decide I'm going to change history for my family and for myself, how you can see it through. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. How do, you, how do you face life when you're prospering and when you're low? How do you face life in plenty and in hunger? How do you face life with abundance and in need? How do I face life, Paul says? face life by knowing by trust in Jesus he will see me through Philippians 4.13 says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and so as Paul's in prison he's writing this letter he wasn't praying to break the bars of prison and he wasn't praying for Samson's strength physically but he's trusting in a Jesus who gives him Samson strength internally, Samson might inside of here. So if you would, stand with me, and I'm going to pray for you. And I think Ashley's going to come up here in just a moment, but I want to pray for you. Jesus, you are truly what my heart longs for. Father, as we move towards a place of making history, as we move to a place, Lord, we may not be MLK Jr. And we may not be President Bush or Obama. But I'm Ben Chapman, a man of valor, who you will see through, who you're given strength to change history. 
will you repeat after me, Father God? Would I be the man or the woman that you need me to be to make history for my family, for my friends, for my neighbors? Jesus, give me strength. And when I'm exhausted, would I still pursue? We love you, Lord. Amen.